0: All right, I'm Sarah, Focus on Russian foreign policy, migration, and things like that.
1: I'm Matt. I'm focused on Southern African history, politics, and economics in general. I'm Corey, focused on Central Asia and the Caucasus security policy. We're three friends who met in grad school who decided to turn our WhatsApp group chat into a podcast called Spicy World. We also invite friends with fresh views to talk about policy, history, international affairs, and current events.
2: And then a day or two later, they said that they were going to open up to, like, a dozen more. Um, I, I, I think they were all Europe, European countries. I don't know if there was any other non-European countries on there.
1: Um, so it's reciprocal, which means you can go to Estonia.
2: Well, I don't know, man, because, you know, I don't have a Georgian passport yet. I'm going to get oh. one, obviously, this year because of all this. I'm finally going to do it. But uh, I don't know. And... The, the there's no there's no commercial flights yet, so all the flights are uh, charters I believe, and and then even then they're like at least like the ones flights have been coming into Georgia like one or two a week for this whole time, but they're all repatriation flights. So I don't know if the flights going out to those other countries will be just like oh yeah anyone can come, or if it's just Georgian passport holders, or if it's just like the like repatriation flights going that way. So I, I don't know yet. It's, it's all very, there's been a few different like kind of back and forth. Like the government will say one thing and then like they'll need to clarify it because like their initial statements were like a little bit vague, it seems. Hmm. But certainly, you know, I just was at a, a major tourism hotspot of the country over the weekend in, in Borjomi, which is like, you know, normally in the summers will be packed with Persians, Arabs, you know, enjoying forests and, you know, not heat. And I mean, Georgians also, of course, but like, you know, a place that's like, I I hadn't been there in quite a number of years, but like the number of, uh, you know, like halal restaurants and like restaurants that are obviously catering to non-Georgians was like, you know, massive and they're all empty. All the hotels are empty. Fucking bummer. Hmm
1: i saw you were getting a lot of hits on twitter about your trip what is that what is that place all about and you sent us that great photo of the columbia shout out
2: yo that was wacky that was that was so bizarre so borjomi is just this like it's just it's a national park it's a town called borjomi and there's a national park like borjomi national park and it's just it's just a beautiful area you know it's just tucked away in this like mountain valley you know this valley in the center of the country it's very bucolic and natural that people claim that like the air there is therapeutic and they claim that the water is therapeutic as well and there is like natural springs there and i don't know mid 1800s some russian troops were there uh and like found these springs and and everyone who had been like you know marching all day long and you know just like felt like shit you know like everyone took a rest in these springs and apparently like felt great afterwards so people were like oh let's let's go here more often. And ever since then it's become like a spot and then like some Russian czars, you know, had like a sick kid or something like that, or, or some duck, Duke had like a sick kid, brought his daughter there. She drank the water and like got better. So they were like, it's a miracle, you know, the magic water is a Borjomi. And uh, then they built a bottling plant. And, you know, it became like, you know, it's definitely the most popular mineral water in the former Soviet world by like a large margin. Um, Mm. Borjomi brand water. Uh, And you can get it in the States. Like I remember I used to be able to get it at Moscow and the Hudson on 181, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was bottled under license in America. So it wasn't Borjomi water. Uh, It was, it was sparkling. It was seltzer and the label, like if you didn't, you didn't know what you were looking for, you would, you would, you would buy it thinking you're getting the real one, but the label did say specifically like seltzer. So (laughs) like. You know, like, it used all the same branding, but it, it was not trying to, like, blatantly trick you. Um, but if you were unaware, it would trick you. But I believe now that they're, they're you can get, like, they're sending real, proper Borgiomi to the States now also, I believe. Yeah. Uh, thank it's, a, it's, it's an acquired taste, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> you would also definitely be able to tell if it's seltzer or Borgiomi.
2: Immediately. Yeah. You would be able to tell immediately because uh, the Borgiomi is like notoriously salty. It's extremely, extremely salty. Huh. And, uh, I had it at, at the place in, in this, you know, in Borgiomi town. There's like two or three public access uh, taps, you know, where like it's like, you know, it's, aqu- it's a you know, it's natural mineral water. It comes out of the ground from some hole like, you know, 200 meters down or whatever. Um, and it just comes out of the ground, you know carbonated and full of like all sorts of minerals and i never had had it straight from the tap before and one it stinks. it smells of sulfur like it smells them it smells of a sulfur bath basically and uh and it's and it's warm it comes out of the ground warm because you know that's how it is and uh oh i it's disgusting i I could drink i can drink regular borjobi like it's not my preferred brand here i like a different one but um It was it was it was appalling, and (laughs) the sense that I I was just like, yo, how did someone 150 years ago come here and think this would be a good thing to drink? Like you would you would see it and you'd be like, no, that's bad water, that's poison water. Like no one should go anywhere near that. Like you'll get sick if you drink that. And it turns out the exact opposite.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. It's so nice to hear a good story like that with so many of us are unable to travel and explore and see things and to hear your experience is very therapeutic.
2: You know, we I, I I'm glad it works for you and we've just, you know, we made the decision a week or two ago like we're going to have to we're not going anywhere for some time, so we might as well like make the best of this and go just like try to enjoy domestic tourism in this country as much, much as possible and like everyone is super happy to see you right now. Every single person in the tourist industry is ecstatic. And like, when, especially like, cause we are foreigners and we talk, we speak Georgian. So people will just be like, so confused. Cause like our first you know, interactions will be in Georgian and it'll be fine. And then as soon as we get deeper into conversation, they'll realize oh, these people aren't native speakers, like cause they're making mistakes and they don't have all the vocabulary. And, and then they'll just be like, wait, like, where are you from? And how are you here? <laughs> and we'll be like, Oh, we're Americans. And we live in Tbilisi. And they're like, Oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> that's, that's their only response. Like, excellent. <laughs> Every restaurant. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I'm like, we, had our, we had our dog with us, right? We had the dog with us and we would just like go up to rest and be like, Hey, is it cool? We bring the dog and they would look around and they would just be like, Yeah, it's cool if you break the dog.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that sounds so nice. Yeah.
2: It's a bummer to, like, be enjoying it because no one else can enjoy it. But it truly does raise the enjoyment because you get all, you know, you you have the ratio of people is just much more, like, people to attractions. It's much more accommodating. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, shall we move into the less pleasant part of the conversation where we talk about conflict and difficulties going around in the world? The real, the real world?
0: Our usual not, themes. A yeah, little
1: bubble that I've
2: made for myself over here. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I, I'll tell you what. I want Sarah. I, I would love if you let off because I am fascinated by what's going on in the Russian Far East right now. I've been following it a bit, but my first understanding of it is was was obviously wrong, because like I, I I I I didn't have the right understanding. So I would love if you could lay the scene for us.
0: Yeah, totally. So um, so this governor in Khabarovsk, which is a region in Russia's Far East um his name is sergey fordgal he was recently arrested for planning murders back in 2004 to 2005. so 15 years later he was finally caught for planning murders um so
2: so he's a bad guy
0: well so that's <laughs> the thing it's when you're talking about the russian far east who who is a bad guy and who's not exactly. um, <laughs> <laughs> and so there's there's a couple of really interesting political things going on uh, in regard to uh, this recent development. So one, uh, this Forgal, he was technically an opposition governor. So he is a member of the Liberal Democratic Party who, this is a systemic opposition party it's also pretty right wing, and it's led by this infamous guy named Vladimir did
2: And realize he was with Zurenski. That's
1: amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> so that's just like another layer on top of this. Yeah,
1: that's a beautiful layer. <laughs> so, so, you, who is that, by the way, for those of us who don't know?
2: I mean, I can just say his party is neither liberal nor democratic, and he <laughs> made this party the liberal democratic party. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, and he's he's just this really brash and colorful leader of this party who you know says really obnoxious things. He's been around forever in the Russian political scene. Um, basically, Is the guy.
2: If you want to say something wild on their version of CNN, he has no problem saying some wild, wild shit on television. <laughs> yeah, you need someone to say something absolutely batshit insane and believe it and feel very strongly about it. He's your man.
1: Okay, so he's like a very colorful character in the political scene. I get it. Okay.
0: Absolutely, yes. So, um, back in 2018, uh, Russia had this series of um, gubernatorial elections uh, that were pretty contested. And um, so this Sergei Forgal in Khabarovsk, he ran and won the elections to become governor of Khabarovsk um, against the incumbent, who was actually the candidate backed by Moscow. Um, Interesting part of this is that the election went into a runoff um, and the runoff actually had higher turnout than the first round. And in the runoff, this guy won over the incumbent by like a 40 point margin. So him winning this contest specifically in the runoff, more people came out because they wanted him to win.
1: Mm.
2: Okay. They were, they were apathetic at first, but then when they realized he had a chance, they were like, oh, let's, let's seize the opportunity and get this guy in.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, so uh, another interesting point here is that Fergal was supported by another former governor of the region who was a, the United Russia uh, governor. So, United Russia is the party that's associated with um, Putin and Dmitry Medvedev. Um, and so, it's interesting that this former governor, who was a member of this Kremlin-backed party, was backing this opposition candidate. Um, mm-hmm. This guy was <laughs> arrested the next year for embezzlement. So, um, you know, Yeah, just a series of arrests, um, all politically motivated. And uh, so, you know, one thing that everyone is wondering is why now, you know, why was this guy arrested for planning murders 15 years later, right now? Um, So, you know, the number one thing to keep in mind is that um, just a week before uh, you had this nationwide referendum on constitutional reforms that would allow Putin to stay in office uh, basically until he's 83 years old. Yeah, uh, the the reforms uh, passed, of course, uh, nationwide. Most regions fell in line with uh, with that vote. Um, you know, there there was a there were a couple of surprises. Um, like, there's a, there's a region in the north that uh, did not fully support the reforms. Um, but when it comes to Khabarovsk, uh, the region as a whole did pass the reforms, but the numbers were just totally not in Putin's favor. So uh, if you look at the numbers, it's basically 23% of the population of the region that decided on this. So the turnout was abysmal. Uh, by the standards that the Kremlin wanted, um, they basically wanted sixty to seventy percent turnout across the board. That did not happen in this region. Um, those supporting it it was it was still passed by a pretty wide margin in support, um, but at the same time, that turnout was not good, and so you know, one thing to take away from that is basically this region did not fudge the numbers, perhaps like other regions did. Mm-hmm.
2: Huh. The the murders, were the murders like political murders or like what, what are they accusing him of like hiring hitmen uh, to get like political opponents or like jilted ex-lovers or what was the...
0: So it was now. actually business people. So, of yeah. course, this guy was involved in business in the 1990s in the Far East, um, which all of that, it totally makes sense that he could be involved in a case like this, particularly given the fact that it is, it was the murders of two business people. Um, But again, the, the whole question around this is why now, why was he arrested now? So yes, it is totally plausible that this is an actual case against him. <laughs> um, but again, 15 years later, and then one week after a referendum where he basically showed that he's not useful anymore. Um, that's the, that's the big question.
1: So the argue or the narrative that I'm hearing is that, so it was in a, in a, a play to consolidate power and that they, this story, he may have actually been guilty of this, but potentially people were just holding this information and waiting for an opportune time to deploy it, or it's completely fabricated and they're just putting him away. So it's something that seems to be the narrative that I'm hearing. Am I hearing that correct?
0: Um, Yeah, so both of those options are definitely, um, could be the case uh, with this development. Um, But it, it just goes to show that when we're talking about a story like this in Russia's Far East, um, there are so many layers to it. And it's not going to be one reason or another as to why this happened. um, Because yes, he could be guilty of this, but he also, um, he was also a very popular opposition governor. And over this weekend, you've actually seen you know, thousands and thousands of people coming out in Hobartovsky in support of him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. And
2: and protesting in Russia without, like, uh, or, like, demonstrating, marching, without, like, the permissions can get you in a lot of trouble. Yeah. They don't don't let people just assemble like that.
0: Yeah, this is, um, it is quite remarkable. Um, You know, I, I think... One thing also to keep in mind with this is, yes, he's a member of this pretty right wing party, but at the same time um, when we're when we're speaking about the Russian Far East, of course, we have to keep in mind that there uh, the region is known for uh, corruption, and he was involved in these schemes back in the 1990s. But the region is also um, its known for its antagonism toward Moscow anyway. And so the fact that Moscow has once again stepped into local politics and basically has thrown away a governor that was popularly elected, um, even if the people in Hobartos did not necessarily agree with his politics. That's still a very frustrating thing for Moscow to step in again.
1: Sure. I think
2: it's important also to, to like put in the context of just how far away from oh, Moscow yeah. this city is like the city is closer to Hawaii than it is to Moscow. <laughs> you know, like it's closer to, it's closer to like, You know, it's it's you know its neighbors are you know Tokyo and you know like Seoul, Korea. Like you know, it's it's so far east. Um, You know, it's like it's like it's like ten miles from the Chinese border. Also, like it's it's really really far east.
0: Yeah, like when when I went out to Vladivostok, you so well I was living in Yekaterinburg, and I had to take a flight back to Moscow to fly six hours to go to Vladivostok. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so it
0: also goes to show um in terms of the the connections there's always this like the the connections among regions are always through Moscow still. And so um yeah one of, so while I was out there also it's uh it's funny speaking with people who have live there and their family has lived out there for generations um because there is this kind of pride of being away from the center and even being descended from like political exiles let's say
2: oh they've always been rebels
0: (laughs) yeah
1: sure interesting
2: i didn't realize how close also that the, the the city was from um I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right you know what I'm talking about the Jewish autonomous oblast oh yeah <laughs> it's just like it's like 150 kilometers away uh, which was this place that the, that the Soviets they made a, they made a province it, again you know as far away from anything as possible in the middle of nowhere and they were like alright Jews you guys complained about not having your own place here's your own place now and they gave them this like province to say like yeah go there build whatever you want like no one's going to notice and there was this Jewish autonomous oblast it still is in, uh, in the Russian Far East? just a random tidbit.
1: <laughs> That's what we're all about, random tidbits.
2: What do you think, Sarah? Do you think this guy, like, I mean, let's just be real, like, he totally had people murdered back in the 90s. Like, 100%, right? Like, how, uh, how could he not have?
0: It's totally plausible. Like, I don't think anyone is arguing that, um, that that couldn't be the case. Um, but it's, you know, I'm sure, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that other political leaders in the Far East have also engaged in, you know, such unfavorable activities, um, but they're not being arrested because they're towing the line.
2: Yeah. They're part of the team. Hmm.
0: This so, what do you think me- it's
2: emblematic of? Do you think do you think there's going to be continued unrest? And like, I can see that Moscow would fear ten thousand people in the streets there more than they'd fear hundred thousand people in the streets of Moscow.
0: Oh yeah, because it's way much easier to control the streets of Moscow for them. Um, but it is a much scarier prospect to not w- know what's going on in its forest regions and especially regions that are you know they the political figures there are even antagonistic toward moscow so you know they don't feel like they have that much control over it and so if they can kick out this potentially problematic leader and install one of their own that you know that gives them some sense of comfort
1: mm-hmm. So what do you guys think is the likely outcome? Do you think that this gets snuffed out in a few news cycles? Or do you think this is this has staying power as something that could impact uh, going forward?
0: Well, I, I think one thing to watch out for is, first of all, um, Vergala is going to be detained for two months, um, is the latest I heard. Uh, it's funny, though, because in those two months, the next basically local and regional elections will be happening in in September in -hmm. Russia. And so those elections are going to be something to watch, especially after the referendum that we saw passed uh, this month, um, how those local and regional elections are going to play out.
1: Right.
2: (laughs) So I think- Regional politics, it's lovely. It's so, so lovely.
1: I think we've talked. I mean, we've talked about Russia a lot in the past, and and what is one of the goals for the country, and especially our conversation with Olga a few weeks back was really good on that. But I've been thinking a lot this past week on how countries are established and maintain themselves based on ideas and things like that. Uh, Russia is a country that is modern. Russia is you can disagree, 20, 30 years old. I don't, I don't know how you guys would categorize that. Of course, they have a significant history before that. But how does this... I've just been trying to think about this story in the context of there's a group of people who are trying to maintain an idea of what modern, modern Russia is. And in order to achieve that, that requires putting people like this dude into like incapacitating him, taking him out of the equation you know all of the other things that they've done in in past years am i on the right track that that that's how they're thinking about it is that they have these ideas about what modern russia is and will be and it requires these sorts of actions it's just hard for me to think about how that's sustainable
2: i don't know if we can separate like or i feel like it's important to separate like what is russia from putin like putin has an agenda yeah. yeah, that agenda does not necessarily have to survive him, um, but like while he is still around, that that would be the agenda. And I'm sure his thought is not a single region, not a single you know square meter of territory should uh, dissent from what we got going on.
1: Um, so you don't think he has in mind like the idea of modern Russia? He just is self-preservation.
0: Uh, well, I mean, I think Matt, I think the ideas support his practical goals rather than the other way around.
1: That mm-hmm. sounds
2: right. Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: He, yeah, cause he, he obviously has an idea not of just like what modern Russia is. Like he has an idea of like a greater Russia, right? Like this, this, like this concept of like this greater Rus like, or, you know, noble Russia that, that, you know, he's people have talked about that. Like, you know, he, his biggest lament is that the Soviet Union collapsed. Like that's, he thinks that's the worst thing that happened in the last hundred years. So I don't think he looks at Russia as saying like, we should make it smaller, we should cut more pieces off. I think he's saying we need to consolidate still. I think mm-hmm. his, his goal is to consolidate more. Mm-hmm.
0: Matt, you've, you bring up that you've been thinking about this in the context of other countries too. Do you have examples of that?
1: Yeah, so I was rewatching, um, I sent you guys the link a couple of days ago, this documentary that I made on maybe it's independence, but um, I made it back in like 2012, 2013. And I hadn't watched it in a few years because I get a little cringy because I made it a long time ago. But <laughs> um, And I'll plug it here if anyone wants to watch it. It's on YouTube from Wintook to Washington is what it's called. You can just look it up on YouTube. Uh, but I was just rewatching it and, and it was bringing back you know the past study I had done on how they've essentially created a nation out of, out of ideas, out of, you know, this independence mindset. And that's how the country was created. But now they're struggling because it's not really based on anything other than fighting for independence. It doesn't really have, I mean, I, I could get in trouble for saying this, but I don't know if it really has a really strong, modern identity of what their goals are going forward and so i've just been thinking about that idea of okay you had a great idea to start things people got behind it now what's next and i've been thinking about it in the context of other countries that i mean every country is established based on some principle or idea and then how do you sustain that or how do you evolve that over time that's why i've been thinking about it a lot
2: I think a lot of countries, yeah, like they view themselves, you you view yourself in relation to something else. The French are not English, you know, uh, we are not Canadian. Uh, Like, and and that seems to be like, I don't know, I don't know if a lot of people can say necessarily what they are, but they can say what they're not. Like they can definitely tell you what they're not. You know, Georgians are not Armenians. They can tell you that, (laughs) absolutely.
1: Well, I mean, let's use the U.S. example because that's what I'm most familiar with growing up here is that I feel like if you watch a lot of these um, well-written speeches and over the past few decades, people talk about how we're in the United States, we're supposed to be living up to certain ideals that were written down years ago that we have never been able to actually achieve, but the goal is to someday aspire to achieve those goals. And that seems to be like what is pushed as the supposed idea but I don't know if the, if the average person buys into that or believes that's the idea of what a country is. you know. So how do you get the average person to buy into an idea of what a country is supposed to be in like a philosophical way? Because countries are like philosophical. And that's why I think that they're often like brought down to, well, we're not that person or we believe in this one or two important thing and that person doesn't and that's what defines us. But in the context of Russia, it's so bizarre, because it seems like there's, you know, these few people at the top who define what is their interest, and then the country goes in that direction. I mean, I guess all countries are kind of like that.
2: Russia definitely is an interesting one, similar to the United States in some sense, because, you know, Russia, it's massive, like America, or I guess America's massive like Russia, I should probably say. But you know they have what you know 150 ethnic groups that they recognize inside Russia that they're like you know these people are not uh, ethnically Rus, but they are Russian. You know they they are Russian citizens and they are part of this greater Russian concept. Um, but I don't, and, and certainly in the Far East, there's probably going to be a lot more of those di- you know different groups of people.
0: Um, yeah, and just an aside, Matt, I thought that you would find this interesting. In Russian, there's two different words for Russian and one hmm. is ethnic Russian and the other is a state Russian. Hmm.
1: Interesting. What, how would you define how people think about those differently?
0: Well, the, the, the state Russian it's a newer term in some ways. So it's a very modern Russian term. And so I think there's definitely groups who try to identify more so in that way. Um, whereas, you know, older generations, um, those who don't really believe in such political projects as renaming oneself (laughs) a state Russian versus ethnic Russian, um, you know, there's, there's definitely groups in support and, uh, against such a concept. So I'm
1: trying to, and what country then do you think defines itself well, and the general public believes in some sort of philosophical thing that isn't just against another? And I think like when I think of a, an Estonia or something, in a in a way that I feel like they, the general public believes in long term thinking about you know becoming a more educated population and becoming a, a more developed country and stuff. But even so, from our experiences there, a lot of conversation is they're defined by their difficult past being a part of the Soviet union.
2: The only country that I can think of is that doesn't define itself uh, you know, I can't think of all of them at once, but like that certainly doesn't define itself in opposition to other people, but is like, this is what we are. And like, that's what makes us us is Japan because there's no non-Japanese people practically living there. Right. It's like one of the most homogenous societies in the world and no one goes to Japan and like becomes Japanese. Like, that's not a thing hmm. to my knowledge. It's not a thing. Like, I don't think they really like, they're not really into like letting people come and like, just cause you live there and speak Japanese, that doesn't mean you are Japanese now. Like, In other places, all you have to do is go there and start speaking their language, dressing like they dress and eating their food. And they're like, all right, you're in.
1: I don't know.
0: (laughs) It's funny, actually, Matt, thinking about this with the development in Khabarovsk, because as I was reading a bit more about this governor, you know, one one thing that he brought up is, and you, you sort of see it, it with his predecessor supporting him as well, that these political party ties are don't seem to be so cemented in the Far East, just, just in terms of this recent development. So you have this United Russia guy supporting this LDPR candidate back in 2018. Um, he gets into office and one, in one speech that he had, he was bringing up how he was not going to throw his support behind one person or another um, in upcoming local elections and basically brought up that it was because to him, the political party tie is not so important he said something to the effect of, we have one political party here, and that's Khabarovsk.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah, that's some local, local tribalism, sort of.
0: Yeah. Did
2: you, did you guys read, uh, I don't know, Matt, if, you if it would have crossed you, but Sarah, did you read that, that, uh, that Mark Gagliotti book about the, the Russian mafia? Uh, yes. There is, there is this, there is that one, like, you know, they were talking about these various factions that, you know, had formed in, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s, and, and the one that formed in, like, the Far East, they just named themselves the Far East Association of Thieves. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> that was like, their, their, their little mafia gag was just called the Far East Association of Thieves. I just, I, I for some reason, that one just always tickled me. <laughs> Like they see themselves very much as like, you know, yeah, they're 10 time zones away from Moscow and St. Petersburg. Like they're going to be thinking about their stuff and their needs, their, you know, their, their, their lives are very, very different than the people's, you know, in European Russia, I'm sure.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. How much time have you spent out there, Sarah? And like that, I mean, you you were in Vladivostok, but like in the, in, you know, very far East Russia, how much time have you spent?
0: Oh, I didn't spend much time there at all. Probably a week at most.
2: Is it cool though? Like, is it, is it, does it feel like it's the end of the world? Like, does it feel like it's remote or does it feel like it's, it's connected?
0: Um, it definitely feels different. It doesn't, you know, it, it feels in some ways like it would be a Russian speaking country, but not necessarily what you think of as European Russia, like Moscow and Petersburg. Hmm hmm: has, uh, has an aesthetic like uh, like San Francisco. Um, really? Yeah, in a way, very hilly. <laughs> Ooh,
1: interesting, and I gotta check this place out. <laughs> so do you think that... So I, do you think Russia is too big to be a sustainable, sustainable country?
0: I mean, that's one of the biggest concerns, right? Is, you know, and you kind of see it with the US too. You have the same arguments here, um, that uh, the country is so large and the regions are so different. Um, But I guess, you know, Russia has been able to Move back and forth between centralization and decentralization in a way that the regions feel perhaps that their needs are being addressed. So you see this in terms of, you know, over the past couple of decades, um, that regional governors are elected versus appointed by Moscow. And so that has switched back and forth a couple of times uh, because of the way that regions feel about Moscow's reach. Mm -hmm. So I think Moscow has played it pretty smart so far, but it's definitely, that's one of the major concerns is keeping regions under, under control.
1: Yeah, that's, it's an interesting debate like because I think it's been coming up a lot in the US as well with the pandemic and that it's it seems like certain state governors have been able to be more effective leaders in the pandemic than others. But the biggest issue is that you need leadership from the top to to coordinate everybody together. And do you think in Russia that there is the leadership that the top is effectively able to coordinate all the regions?
0: I mean, so far it has. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's why you see things happen like what happened over this last week is the leadership needs loyal leaders in those regions in order to maintain its strategy. Mm -hmm.
2: And all those people went out in the streets, which was like, you know, they... they you know as the rules would have said they should have you know that was not permitted that was not allowed like you could get in trouble for that and they didn't do anything whether that whether they felt like they would have not been able to like effectively do something i, I don't know but they, they the bottom line was they didn't do anything they let the demonstration go on which is, is that a sign of a lack of reach or a sign of like you know prudently using one's resources
1: I, I, i'm not sure right so they can't effectively coordinate unless they're able to handpick all of the people that they have to coordinate.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Which yeah, it doesn't
0: feel sustainable to sign. me is what I'm that's, saying.
2: Yeah, that's that's not a good sign. Yeah, yeah it doesn't feel sustainable.
0: Cool. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, I don't think you could look at Russia on a map or a globe and just say like, oh yeah, that that that's reasonable. <laughs> that's that's normal. Like it would make sense that the people uh, over by Finland um, uh, have any idea what's going on in you know, you know Kamchatka or you know Vladivostok or anywhere in the in the Far East. Like yeah, it's 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 a you know a million miles away, like both geographically and like culturally and mentality wise. Like it's a different space entirely.
1: Yeah, and you could say the same. And there's a lot of countries that have that, that similar dynamic. And I, I just don't know. I mean, I think like a lot of it works because there is regional leadership and they're able to effectively represent their region at the federal centralized level. But I just, I don't know. It, yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be a big question for the next few decades is how uh, nations are able to manage that coordination and relationships and effectively representing all of the people in these different areas I, I, I don't know what the right answer is but it's tough
2: I remember like uh, after the Soviet Union ended or I, I don't remember this but like I know that after it ended there was talk of like oh Russia will break up into like all these constituent parts like there's no way that that the Russian state could stay together it's too big it's too diverse like there should be you know it should f- you know, people are saying it should fall apart because how could it not? And, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, whatever, it's, it's still, it's still together and massive, but you got, I mean, I, I think it would be crazy to see, like, obviously there's going to be cracks at some seams because it's just too big. Mm-hmm. You know, they gave away you know, like, let's be real, like at the, at a different extreme end of Russia, like at, in the North Caucasus, like, the government basically gave Chechnya to their like local strongman to just be like, look, I don't care what you do there, just don't leave. Do whatever right. you want. You're just not allowed to leave. And like they said, that was that was a deal that they were seemingly okay making. Then who knows how they feel about it now? But uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be outrageous to assume that somewhere even further remote than than a place like Chechnya would somehow come up with some sort of power sharing agreement like that, where they're like, all right, look, we won't keep people in the streets. We'll chill, but you guys should just never come here. <laughs> Which is like, that's like kind of the rule in Chechnya is like, you know, like the federal services don't go there. It's that's mm-hmm. not, that's not their, their purview. But yeah, that's not a, that's not a, um, That's not like a long-term solution. That's just like feudalism.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I think it's something that came up, you know, in our Estonia conversations as well, is specifically when we were discussing things like e-governance, it's uh, in the digital realm, easier to coordinate policy and society um, when it's smaller. And, well, yeah. and, you know, that can be uh, it's not only in the digital realm, but just generally governance is easier with smaller constituent parts.
1: Yeah, I mean, and they've had a few hiccups in the past year or two. There was that um, far-right populist authoritarian group that was uh making a lot of noise there so even though they're tiny they st- they still are experiencing some of those issues speaking of Estonia I know we didn't prepare to talk about this but I'm, I just have to say it because it's been on my mind this week how so Estonia which is famous across the world for everything digital everything being able to be done remotely how are they not front page news every day across the world of like Estonia, we told you you were going to need us Sunday, you know, and, and now everybody should be using it. And, and they're not in the news. I saw like one article two or three months ago about how like, oh, Estonia is making some of their materials available internationally for education and online education and, and online government related things. And then I've seen nothing since. So I, is this because their model is not actually a viable model for no, countries around the world? Or is it because they're really bad at marketing? They're or, terrible
2: at marketing and they're too,
1: they're too. So you think modern. they have the right product? They're just not good at marketing.
2: I think, I mean, I think what we learned when we were, when we were meeting with them and dealing with them a bunch during, during school was like, yeah, like they don't like to talk about themselves. Um, they think it's like un, uncouth, you know, they think it's, 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 uh, you know, like, you know, boorish to like brag about one's uh, achievements and uh, abilities and, 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 you know, like, and when the world is going to hell in a handbasket, I feel like their 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 mentality would be like, yeah, why would we rub it in right now that we're doing okay and like we're normal? Like, they would think like that's really rude. People are having a hard time right now. Is <laughs> my you know my guess just having you know we've met them and interacted with them, and they're extremely reasonable, kind people who do have their shit together, but don't like to brag about it.
1: See, how I'm thinking about it is maybe this is. A test on if their systems are actually viable for the world, and maybe the the answer is that they are not, because nobody's been talking about imitating them during all of this.
0: I, I saw that they're finally everyone it. That. You know, Sorry? I what? think everyone has been. It's not that it's not that people are saying like, oh yeah, we're going to do what Estonia did, but they're just doing things, you know, adapting to remote work and remote education in a way that does not attribute that to Estonia, even mm-hmm. though you know they developed a lot of these ideas and systems. And even if they didn't develop them themselves, have definitely expanded upon them.
2: I, I did yeah. see one critique of their, they did that like digital nomad visa or something mm-hmm. like that. And like, I guess they, like, you know, they had announced it like months ago and it had taken quite some, I think, I think I just saw something a couple of days ago, like it's finally off the ground but it took an uncharacteri- a characteristically unEstonian amount of time to achieve it. Uh, and I don't know if that was a result of, yeah, like you know, COVID and everything got changed timeline wise, but uh, you know, they were talking about that thing and then it disappeared for a while, but and now it just popped back up the, uh, the digital nomad visa.
1: Well, yeah, that's like, that's the perfect example because when we were there and and before we were there, the whole, uh, philosophy of estonia is that or they were projecting that the future of the world is that you can do everything remotely and the examples they give is using the tools that came from estonia the skypes the transfer the e-residencies you can live in ghana and be an accountant for a company in france you can live in paris and be a whatever worker for a company in the united states And all of these things are now like 24 seven in the news cycle about the future of the world is that. And yet never heard anything about any of these Estonian companies. It's all, we're talking about like Zoom and we're talking about how like Facebook and Google and these companies are trying to create an environment where you can live anywhere and work for them. And I'm just wondering, is that the marketing problem or did they just not have the right product or is this just an issue of they had the idea but they never executed it effectively?
0: But you've, Matt, the way that you bring this up is that these companies are emulating what Estonia had already been doing ten years yeah. ago. So obviously, yes. it's a viable product.
1: Yeah, that's true. So I guess that they, I guess they're just.
2: You know what? You know what might be a metaphor for it. Honestly, Skype might be a might be a decent metaphor for this because Skype was so, you know, it was ahead of its time. It was you. I, you could know, talk to anyone for free anywhere around the world that was a new a completely new thing like there was no more long distance fees um and then skype just rested on its laurels for like 15 years and now no one wants to use skype anymore and all of a sudden like you know like zoom sur- over you know surpassed skype like uh like overnight it seemed and you know skype had that first mover advantage huge market share you know capital support from Microsoft, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world and yet like has just kind of floundered it seems during, during the last couple years. And specifically now when like, all right, everyone's moving to digital, like, you know, to, to video conferencing and, and Skype is not the, the winner it seems, which is like, yeah. that's, they they fucked that up because they should have won this, you know, this battle. Um, but maybe 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 Estonia, yeah, like they were early and they were right, like they did everything right, but then they stopped
1: i don't know well, that's the painful thing for me, is that you brought it up exactly that other places are either imitating or they're creating these technologies themselves because they're necessary now. Mm-hmm. And now now that all of these things exist outside of Estonia, Estonia can never take credit for them ever again. Because once this is all over in a year or whatever, Estonia can't say, well, we invented all those things before everybody. We just happened to lose because everybody started using the other products and now ours. You know, like they can't now call, call themselves the digital nation because everybody's going to be that in two years.
2: Yeah, that's, I, I think that's a fair assessment.
1: I mean, this, these are wild speculations, but I'm just nervous for this, being a big Estonia fan. <laughs>
2: But, you know, you, you have to, you, you know, in tech, you got to iterate or die. Like, what's their newest thing? What what have they made recently? TransferWise is cool. I use TransferWise. But, I mean, that was probably 10 years ago still now, right?
1: I don't know. That's just been a pet peeve in my mind the past week. I'm just getting it out there. I know that we didn't plan to talk about it, but I just had to say it.
2: <laughs> uh, I, just an, another thing. I saw, I saw something today that was – I don't remember if it was – it was either Estonia or Latvia, but one of them had, oh no, I think it was in Latvia, all of the signs, all of the advertising signs, like on bus benches and billboards that were Visit Georgia, I guess Georgia was doing a large, um, like tourism ad campaign there, they've all been replaced with Visit Estonia signs. Mm-hmm.
1: So, well, that's that's worth. Worth. Say it again, Sarah?
0: Um, Well, the the Baltic bubble was probably one of the first uh, groups of countries to allow travel between them.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. Coming out of COVID. That's a good point. Uh. And I I don't doubt, so is going to do great going forward because they have a great foundation of basically everything. Their education system is number one in the world. But uh, it's just a little annoying that they didn't get to take more credit or get a bigger win when everyone's now reverting to copying things that they've been doing a long time.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe they need the credit. They're doing pretty well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're going to be fine.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but I I, I think it's a result of them not liking to raise their voice and not liking to brag.
1: Which is a good thing
2: yeah, I think over long run. Yeah, of course it's a good thing. No one likes a bragger like as, as a, as a neighbor, I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm sure Estonia is a lovely neighbor to have. Right. Like cause they don't raise the voice. I, I saw the jokes. Like when, when COVID like was literally like first hitting, you know, everywhere back in, you know, April or May or whatever it was. And it was just you know really, really taking off. And uh, I feel like it was a joke about like the Finns and the Estonians. And it was like, wait, we're not like, we're supposed to keep two meters distance. Like we really prefer three, (laughs) like like, take it easy with your two meters guy. Like don't like, don't, don't tell us how far away we're supposed to stay from people. We know how far away we stay from people. Like (laughs) don't go into rooms, small rooms and sing loudly and like spit. Like, don't worry guy. Like we're not doing that. (laughs) Oh man. Difference so, in some cultures, right? Like you know the cultural body language and behaviors that exacerbate or mitigate a pandemic. <laughs> you know, the Italians. The Italians were not doing those same uh general cultural things, obviously, at the same time. They were sitting mm-hmm. in much closer quarters and speaking a lot louder with a lot more uh spittle,
1: probably oh geez. So uh, any other bees in bonnets this week?
0: Um, no, that was, that was pretty much mine.
2: Yeah, I like this deep dive because I've been, I was watching it. So let me just say what I understood when this first came out, the, the, the governor story, because that's why I wanted Sarah's take on it. I, here's how I read it. The governor of Moscow hired a bunch of hitmen back in the 90s. And now he's getting arrested. But, mm-hmm. but, like, why he's getting arrested now is like, yeah, that's just like, wait, like, so he's bad, right? Good, good, arrested. He hired a bunch of hitmen in the 90s, right? Like, that's bad, right? Like, we're supposed to arrest those guys. <laughs> but then it's just like, oh, wait, he's the good guy? <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, that's the thing to learn, though, with Russia, is it's not necessarily this good guy, bad guy divide. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's it's not like a yeah, it's not. There's no diametrically opposed opposites, right? It's 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 not black and white.
0: It's uh yeah. He could be a bad guy and did that thing, but it's also a bad thing that happened to him by being arrested for it now.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. You want to see due process of law take you know come into effect, and you, you're going to assume that no, that's not going to happen. He's not getting any due process. <laughs> like, uh,
1: yeah, I mean, it's also.
0: Just pointing out that it's the governor of Khabarovsk, not the governor of Moscow. Right, right, right. We don't want, yeah, a, yeah. We don't want a scandal.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, governor
2: of Khabarovsk. <laughs> Who's the governor of Moscow, do you know? Off the top <laughs> of your head?
0: How uh,
1: Like that. Major, so, yeah.
2: How many, how, many, how many hits do you think he's, he's, he's uh, orchestrated? <laughs> <laughs> and that was our show for this week. <laughs>
1: Maybe one more after this show. <laughs> yeah, I think another interesting topic going forward, which we don't have to get into right now, is just the new country and the initial 20, 30 years and in, in the, because there's a lack of the institutions at that point, there's just so much gray area. And that's just an interesting topic.
0: You mean the
1: 90s? Yeah, but I think it's common in, in every country I'm thinking of off the top of my head that became a new entity for the first 20, 30, maybe even more than that years. There's just so much gray area in term because the institutions just aren't established yet.
0: Yeah, transitions.
1: Yeah. That's very much. <laughs> Great
2: topic. The amount very the much amount of money that's out there. In the in the in the far east of Russia, and just I mean, in just in terms of mineral mineral wealth, is is you know, it's it's you can't even imagine it's it's staggering the amount of resources that are at their disposal as soon as they just want to start extracting them.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that, that's also this governor. That's what he was involved in back then was uh, timber and metals. So
2: yeah. they have a lot that's- of that, not a lot of people. So yeah. <laughs>
1: That's the dream, to make your fortune in timber. Move to Finland, make your fortune in timber. <laughs> great.
2: That's, that's what you want to be? You want to be a Finnish t- timber baron?
1: That's, that's, that's Can the you end think game. of any, a more pure business? Although maybe cutting down trees isn't such a great idea.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> Unless you yeah. have a sustainable business.
2: Right. Yeah, sustainable forestry, sure. Why not? Right. Right. You want to be the, the world's largest sustainable timber baron <laughs> based, based out of uh, Finland. <laughs>